leather. We aim to create a space that encourages active discussion without judgment. I am Melissa Millers, psychologist and mother of two. I am Kristen Daly, psychologist and mother of three. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Melissa Miller. I'm Kristen Daly. Kristen, what you been curious about? Well, Melissa, um, one of the things that I find I'm running into a lot lately, families trying to deal with the introduction of new partners, like what happens after divorce and we're trying to co-parent and we're starting to talk about how do blended families look and... I realized I have a lot of questions about what are the right ways to do these things and what are the wrong ways. And lucky enough, um, we're going to be joined today by Dr. Tara Egan, who is a child and adolescent therapist. She's a parent coach. She's an author and also hosts her own parenting podcast called One Day You'll Thank Me. She owns a solo practice in Charlotte called Charlotte Parent Coaching and provides coaching services on access to information on her YouTube channel. She has written books and is in the process of writing another book and has all of those resources available at her website, which is www.drtaraegan.com. One of the things I think is so neat about Dr. Egan's practice is she does a lot of like going into the home and talking to like looking at the actual dynamics of family interactions and coaching people through some of the things that they're doing. So um, I just figured we ha- we know this great resource, so we'll ask your questions. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Egan. Thanks so much for having me. Wow, we're excited how- to have you here today. How did you even get into this uh, line of work, you know, that with, especially with the idea of going into people's homes and, and you know, kind of coaching from the inside? I was, I'm a former school psychologist, so I worked in the public schools for a really long time, and my specialty area was always working with kids who were struggling behaviorally, so they were disrupting classrooms, um, maybe disrespect towards their peers or teachers, and um, when you, when you were in the process of doing an assessment with a child, of course, you got to know the family a little bit, and it was so intriguing to me. And after being in the public schools for, gosh, about 10 years and getting a little worn out on the whole assessment process and in creating report after report, I decided to leave the public school system and offer parenting coaching services through Charlotte Parent Coaching. And initially I was so new, I was just getting divorced myself. Uh And the idea of like opening up this whole office, the costs that it would incur, Um, made me think, okay, how can I do this a little bit differently? So I started to offer in-home visits where parents would call me up. We do a consultation call. If it was a good fit, I would go and observe the child sometimes in school, sometimes at home, oftentimes both, because the types of referrals I was getting was appropriate to my 10 years at that point, 10 years of experience with kids who are struggling behaviorally. I found over time to be an excellent model to to look at those family dynamics. Um, It caused everyone in the family to sort of like the, hmm, like we're doing this for real. Like this isn't just some random thing. Our parents are like, you guys need to be better behaved. You know, it was like, my parents are paying this lady to come in and give suggestions and we're all collaborating together. And I saw really nice results from it. So over time, I did open up an office. It just allowed me to do different types of work with kids in my own space. 
but I still, to this day, almost every client that I start working with, I, I start off with an initial observation and just kind of set the tone for having a really collaborative relationship. So I love it. I, I, I love it so much. And I like the variety. As you know, I like to do these other projects too. And rather than always just having like a one-to-one point of contact with families, I like to do that. But then I also like to provide resources that can be accessed a little easier, which is why it's so much fun to do the podcast, the YouTube channel, write books, things like that. So you were going through your own divorce as you were trying to navigate launching your business. So it really... There's a lot of transition at once. What would you want divorcing parents to know about how to ease things for their kids? Like what are some essential pointers when you're, when you're separating to try to make your kids be as okay as possible? Well, I think it's really important that parents recognize that their kids will do as well as they do. Like there really isn't a chance that a parent's going to do poorly and a kid's still going to do okay. So the first Mm -hmm. thing I tell parents is to protect their own mental health, their their financial stability, to make sure they've created a strong support system because that first, honestly, year to two years after separation is so stressful and filled with change. And if you don't have the right supports in, in place where you can get up in the morning and feel a sense of hope, possibility, and you're not able to convey that to your kids, it's, it can create a house that's kind of filled with despair. So that first step of just really protecting themselves because a child going through a divorce that wakes up to a mom or a dad who's like, you know what, today's a fresh day, we can do this. You know, we have good things in front of us, like life can be so good and change can be good uh, is very different than somebody who's really struggling to um, move on and create a life that you know, they can feel really proud of. So that's number one. Um, Number two, I think is, is as much as possible to maintain your kids' routines. So if they're, you know, going to a certain school, if you're able to keep them in that school and not everybody is, and that's fine. Uh, If you can keep connections with their peers, keep their extracurricular activities stable. If you can fall back on the, the good old bedtime routines and, together moments during dinner time and, you know, phone calls with grandma and grandpa, things like that. So that as much about their world looks familiar as possible. And ideally we would see that in both homes. Sometimes it doesn't Mm -hmm. work that way. And there are some changes that make and they can be um, viewed as positive if the parent is able to convey it as something that it's it's okay, it's safe, we're gonna be fine. Um, But keeping those routines as much as possible is usually really helpful for kids. Mm-hmm. Tara, I have noticed, I've had a few families lately that have really caught me off guard. They've almost divorced too well, <laughs> where I, I know that's a bizarre thing to say, but they almost painted it more of a, this is going to be so great. This is no big deal. This really isn't divorce. They never really formally divorced. And then years later, the kids wake up and they're like, wait a minute, there was a loss here and I never grieved it. And I never had the chance to get upset about this. Like it was made to sunshine and rain, to Mm -hmm. sunshine and rainbows. Have you seen any of that? And if so, like what advice would you give to families? Well, I think it's important to understand that divorce 
is a form of grief. You know, that pro you go through that grief process of the ups and downs where sometimes it's like, you know, things are good. Like, you know, I have a different life now. And there was aspects of that marriage I didn't enjoy or was unhealthy. And now I get to make different choices. And then there's other times where you're like, holy moly, like I thought I was going to live in this house or I thought mm -hmm. I was going to have this partner to co-parent with. And it doesn't look like that anymore. And I think if you're able to notice those moments in your kids, like I remember my own kids just suddenly dissolving into tears and me mm -hmm. like just being able to be in that space with them and not trying to um, reassure them like, oh, you don't need to be sad. There's nothing to be sad about. Like, yeah, there's totally something to be sad about. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to get better. Like this can be a moment of grief and we can kind of roll into it and give it the honor it deserves and then go back to, you know, one foot in front of the other. But I agree. I, I don't, I think if you try to dismiss those feelings or minimize them or almost make your kid feel silly for having all this sadness, I think you are going to have that kid who wakes up later and thinks, Hey, I wasn't allowed to be me during that. Mm -hmm. And if you're a woman, let's say, let's just say you're a mom, cause we're all moms here. And there's elements of this divorce that are really relieving. And you know, you're entering into a stage of life that is likely to be more healthy. Um, great. Enjoy those feelings, but don't assume your kids are going to have that same experience or perceive themselves to be having the same experience. Even if you know there's some benefits for them too. Um, they just feel like mom and dad are apart and these memories we had as a family are gone now. And it's really sad for them. So it's important to, to let them have those moments and give them some reassurance, but hear them. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to say in my work, I don't see those because I work with the families who are really, really struggling with that. Um, as you know, kind of in the community, I, I work with the parents who are in a really negative place. And it's oftentimes to the detriment of the kids where there's a lot of arguing and power struggles mm -hmm. and decisions not being made. So no, I don't see it, but I can imagine how that goes. The other big thing that I hear a lot about is kind of like you said, the relief that the, the marriage is done, the, the excitement of being in a new relationship. I'm really curious about how you decide to tell your kids that you're in a new relationship and how you tell your ex that you are in a serious new relationship and have those discussions? Well, I do encourage parents out there if they have something in their agreement, because sometimes when you work with an attorney, they will advise you to put some parameters around what a new relationship, when it comes to introducing that person to the kids, obviously what you do in your own time that doesn't impact the kids shouldn't, my belief should not be in any kind of agreement. But if we're talking about a relationship the kids will become acquainted with, if there's parameters that have been written in an agreement, like please follow them. It causes so much distress when you finally get through a divorce, paper signed, you can possibly get to a place of just kind of low drama and just plugging along. And then you go and you decide, <clears throat> I'm going to spend time with this new partner and I'm going to skirt the edges of the agreement or, you know, we're past this now. And then if everything blows up because you guys made an agreement to follow this. And if one person steps away from it, it can kind of get really chaotic. So that's one thing is if you have an agreement, follow it. If you don't, 
a lot of times how people proceed, it will depend so much on what their relationship is like with their ex. So if they feel that, like if there's a lot of anger or there's been some dramatic moments in the relationship because one partner maybe was unfaithful, Mm -hmm. um, that obviously comes with a whole bunch of baggage. And I really encourage the person who was unfaithful to be, you know, sensitive to the fact that being in a new relationship could be very um, triggering for that prior partner. That being said, I don't think there's usually anything good that comes from a parent starting a new relationship and starting to have the children spend time with that new person and have the other parent find out because the kids told them. Yeah. And one of the benefits of having your ex-spouse know that something like that is coming is they have a chance to process it emotionally and hopefully get to a place where they can present it in a rather neutral or positive way to their kids. Mm -hmm. Because it's really difficult when you have a new relationship. Let's just say for purposes, dad has a new relationship. He starts bringing this person around. Maybe it's real casual. Maybe it's not. They're not introduced as his girlfriend. It's just a neighbor we know or somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, works on the PTA or whatever it is, and they have their first points of contact be real casual. Maybe her kids are playing with his kids, but X finds out, feels completely blindsided, and it starts a whole dramatic conversation. And now that ex-partner, the biological mom, might feel ill will towards this new partner before she's able to really assess whether or not this new partner could have a positive impact on the kids' lives. Like it had already starts out in such a tainted way. Mm-hmm. So I encourage in this situation, dad, to send a quick email. Hey, I'm dating someone new. You know, it's, we seem to be getting serious. I would like to consider introducing the kids at some point. Um, I'm thinking that possibly in three weeks, there is a neighborhood party and they're likely to be there. And I'd like the kids to say hello and meet her kids then. And you don't necessarily have to give the, the, the partner any decision-making over that, or mm-hmm. you know, they might come back with questions that are too invasive that you don't have a responsibility to answer. But if you can give them that heads up so that they can hopefully process with their own support system, mm-hmm. they can come home and say, oh, we met this new lady. And you can say, oh, neat. I'm glad dad has a new friend versus what? Who was it? What's her name? Your, her kids were there? How long was she there? Did she go into your house? And it turns into where kids immediately feel defensive and they're tempted to mm-hmm. defend their dad or even tell things that are untruthful. So we just don't want to put kids in that, um, in that situation. However, if you have an ex who's going to, you're going to send that email to and you say, hey, I'm dating someone and I'm thinking of introducing the kids in a few weeks. And she reads that email aloud to the kids over the dinner table. Guess what your dad's doing? He's totally got a new partner and he expects you guys to meet her in three weeks and think she's great. (laughs) Well, and that situation sometimes can leave dad hesitant to include his ex-wife in on that conversation. So sometimes I say, dad, you might wanna have that conversation with your ex, not three weeks ahead of time, but give a little less notice so there isn't a whole 
dialogue happening at mom's house yeah. that influences your kids. It's really tough yeah. because you can play above board and you can keep those kids in a safe place where everybody's focusing on their needs. There's no need to make this harder for kids than it has to be to adjust to a new person. And the other parent oftentimes can make or break the successful connection with the kid to the new partner. Like that's Mike. That's so interesting to think about because I think that what I see a lot of is partner is wounded because the new relationship preceded the divorce. And sometimes they're really blindsided by the new relationship. And I think that they can feel so much, you know, almost even like they can catastrophize like that this I've been replaced and they're going to build this new family and, you know, and I'm going to be left out. And I'm always trying to, to help the, the one who was blindsided to understand that your, you know, your kids might even end up feeling like really protective of you. But the hard part is, is you don't want to put too, so much emotion in the hands of your kids because they're, they're going to really struggle to have a relationship with the other parent if they feel like they have to be protective of you emotionally. But I, you know, I can see how it can be just really hard. Mm-hmm. Whether it's months or a couple of years after the divorce, you're not really in a space and you haven't had enough experience to recognize like nobody's going to replace mom. Like they're not, especially a mom that has a really connected, healthy bond with their child. Like that, this new person, whether they're dad's girlfriend or stepmom, hopefully is somebody that your kid feels love toward connection with. But I have not in all my years seen kids be like, oh, mom's out, stepmom's in, done. Like that just doesn't happen. Even if mom's really struggling with something, you know, depression or even addiction, things like that. Like kids love their moms. They just do. And so you can really work on connecting with your kids so that they feel close to you, even when they're at dad's or away at camp or away at college, or you can, you know, try to blow up this relationship between child and stepmom in hopes that that's somehow going to make your relationship stronger, which is, I don't think a healthy way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for me to say, you know, I've been divorced, I don't know, 10, 11 years. Both of us have remarried. I see how connected my own kids are to me while still appreciating their, their stepmother and their stepfather. And I don't feel like my situation is like magical by any means. You know, we've mm-hmm. had some really, really stressful times, but I just see the kids just, they want to love both parents. They want to love the people who they live with. And I just don't think we should get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot. I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this because I can understand as a parent wanting to protect your relationship, but that doesn't mean that in order to protect that relationship, they cannot have other healthy relationships. And I do think it takes a lot of resilience to be wounded in your marriage mm-hmm. and still recognize that you don't want an ongoing stressful negative experience for your children. I mean, imagine sending them to the wolves, you know, if you've kind of made the stepmother out to be the bad guy, and then you have to send your kids to go be with the wolves for half their existence. I agree. There shouldn't be any part of you that feels satisfied that your kid is miserable at the other parent's house. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, I know with my own kids, like I can, there could be tough moments at their dad's house, but how I respond when they tell me them 
can really shape how they view them. And so there's some parents, you had to vacuum your room? That's ridiculous. Are they just going to treat you like a slave? It's like, mm, vacuum your room. Sounds like a good plan. Why don't you go upstairs and vacuum your room here too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like those, there, it, it, and obviously there's different situations. I mean, there's sometimes mm-hmm. your ex-partner really is creating a toxic an unhealthy environment for your kid mm-hmm. and it's super worrisome and you have to give your kids the tools to cope with that and part mm-hmm. of giving them those tools is having them recognize unhealthy versus healthy behavior sometimes that can happen but a lot of times after some time and dad is given some time to create his own separate relationship with the kids things stable out you know I always think mm-hmm. of there's like the dad who rises to the occasion you know they nice. were yeah they were in a relationship. Maybe mom was the primary caretaker. They didn't really know what was going on with dentist appointments and who their math teacher was. And so then the parents go through a divorce and then there's the dad that rises to the surface and starts doing all that stuff. Or there's the dads who kind of slink out and say, ah, she's got this. Yeah. And the one where the dad rises often causes more conflict than the one who steps away because now mom went from being primary caretaker to sharing that role with an ex and it feels unfair. Like, so mm-hmm. you just, you know, did it halfway when you lived with us, but now that you're single or maybe you have a new partner, like your super dad, mm-hmm. that's really frustrating. But I'm like, oh, he's doing great. Like, let's celebrate that too. Yeah, I think that is so hard because I, I think I, I see it a lot where there is this sense of they became a better partner after our relationship and that, or, you know, a better parent after the relationship. And there's a lot of like, it's almost like the waves of the pain of the loss, you know, like the initial loss of the relationship, but then also wait, they, they could be doing better. And when they're not connected to me and, you know, and, and I think it could be really difficult to recognize that the way that people change over time is influenced by a lot of factors. And it's not necessarily that the new partner has been this amazing person that you weren't. It just might be that there was the right time, right place or right necessity for that change to take place. Well, and oftentimes I know for me, I think, gosh, I'm such a better partner now. I mean, my first husband didn't get the best version of me as far as being a partner because <laughs> yeah. now I'm older, you know, and I know myself more. I mean, I got married to my first husband when I was only 24. And yeah. so I was so young, I was unformed, you know, and so it makes sense that I would be a different partner now, not because mm-hmm. he wasn't worthy of it or I was a bad person then, but you just evolve. And sometimes you learn from your mistakes or you're just in a different place of life and you're, you have that capacity. Mm-hmm. So in other times we see our ex just repeat the same thing and it's kind of a nightmare, but mm-hmm. we don't have, that's not our journey to be on anymore. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll, I'll have clients just kind of like, we'll work on like, it doesn't like, I am no longer in this space where I have to be responsible for that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the other things I've been thinking about a lot is I have a couple of relationships where people are trying to figure out how do you blend families? It feels very challenging. You know, I have a, three children and I always say that like systems of three are all, are innately unstable. You know, there's always two that are going to get along better than, and there's always somebody on the outs and that's, you know, their biological siblings who are always together and I can't imagine 
how complicated the dynamics must be when you're trying to blend children from different families. And I was curious in your work or in your experience, what are some ways that parents can make that process be as smooth as is humanly possible? Some of it is just not rushing it. Um, a lot of times, you know, at this new partnership, it's like they're adore, they adore, adore each other and they just want to be together. And so they will have these gatherings with the two families and they will have them go on way too long. Like instead of being like, hey, let's go to the park and bring a picnic and you don't know, go on the swing sets for an hour and a half or two hours and then say goodbye and we'll see you a new day. They're like doing these marathon visits and the kids are getting worn out from each other or one kid's territorial over their toys at that house and the other kid misses being home at a decent hour. And so sometimes it's just recognize what your kid's limits are as far as that positive, like leave on an end, leave on a good note when you end that mm -hmm. interaction. So and that, that happens in the early days when, you know, way before you're living together and you're just starting to spend time with the, the family. And it might be, let's go out to dinner and then we um, get some ice cream and then we head home and it was great seeing you. And the kids are like, oh, too bad we have to separate. And it's like, good, I want them to leave feeling that way. Um, but as they get closer, you know, and they start truly spending more time together, I think the first thing to be protective of is the alone time with your kids. Um, even now, my kids love their stepdad, but if he goes out of town, it's like we revert back to nine years ago when we had moved out of the marital home, we had this cute townhouse and we did these like routines. And back then they were really young. So we ate like a lot of like little kid food. You know, we had mm -hmm. spaghetti and chicken fingers and stuff. And they like have this moment where they want to revert back to that time when it was just the three of us. It does mm -hmm. not mean they don't love or miss their stepdad, but they really remember those, those moments fondly. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's important to kind of keep the alone time with your kid. If you're, your kid always came with you to Home Depot on Saturday mornings. Well, yeah, there's other kids in the family too, but mm -hmm. it might be a tradition that you keep. And that's where I hear kids feeling the most distressed if they just feel like they lost this parent to this new relationship versus this new relationship was added to my relationship mm -hmm. with my parent. So mm -hmm. I think that's really, really helpful. And it's up to the new partner to really honor that time and not kind of be jealous or competitive or why is he leaving me, his new partner to go spend time with his kids alone? Mm -hmm. You got to... I think both be in a place to really respect that time. And it really allows that parent and child to do a lot of problem solving and connecting that's going to benefit everybody in the household. If you get to the point where you're sharing a house, if whenever possible, you can have the kids have their own rooms. And where you say, where you set the household rule that you need to knock and be invited in. Because when kids feel like they have their individual belongings, they have control over their space as far as, you know, not having a step sibling barge in and try on all their clothes or touch their music that can go a real long way in having kids feel like they still have some autonomy and control of their environment. Mm -hmm. One of the things I always, I've kind of recommended to friends in the past is even trying to launch a new household, like, by, you know, if possible, buying a new house or trying to create, they have to stay in the same space, just trying to come up with a way that it feels like a new union or a new space because of the fact that 
the territorial piece, I think perpetuates when we're trying to like cram more people into a space that wasn't their own. Yeah. And if they have memories of their, of their other parent living in that house mm. and now this new person comes in and even if parents try to, you know, this new partnership, they try to make changes. Like they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to paint or we're going to, I don't know, readjust the rooms in some way. Like sometimes that can make them feel sad or almost like it's disloyal. So I agree with you. I think if that's a possibility, and especially if you can keep them in the same school district, that would be ideal. Yeah. And then the other thing I sometimes hear is that that perception of favoritism, you know, like they're favoring the biological children are getting more whatever. And um, when and parents really trying to figure out how do we help them feel uniquely loved, especially when maybe they disagree, you know, um, I feel like I often will see the scenario where one parent is a really strong disciplinarian and another parent is a little bit more lax. And now they're trying to figure out what do we do in that, in that space? Well, one thing I remind parents is like one child has different parents than the other child. So, you know, my daughter's parents are me and my ex-husband. My stepdaughter's parents are my current husband and his ex-wife. And so they don't, those, those two sets of parents may have different parenting roles or they may have different rules. And so in my home, we didn't, we never gave the expectation that everything would be the same. Like we want our kids to have equal opportunity to access their potential, their interests, to feel connected to their parents, but that doesn't look the same for each kid because they actually have different parents. So we wouldn't be like, well, the neighbor kid lives next door. So they should get to do the same thing I get to do. Like, no. And I know it's not the neighbor kid. It's, it's more connected mm-hmm. than that. But I really feel like it's important to honor those two parents as being capable, competent parents. And in my role as stepmom, like I want to have faith that even if my husband does something, it doesn't, that I wouldn't do, or that my ex-husband and I wouldn't do, I have to have a belief that he and his ex-wife are making the very best decisions they can for their daughter. So does that make sense to not have it be where it has to be, everything is the same? Because kids, they'll feel entitled. They'll sit there and be like, I'm wronged. I'm the victim here versus recognizing like, hey, they got different parents and they're, you know, their parents might let them have more access to technology or may not have the same expectation as far as grades or college or whether you're getting an after-school job or chores and like you gotta let it go because their parents choose differently than your parents. I think that's a very different and refreshing perspective because I do think there's a lot of I hear a lot of forced like this is our parenting group now instead of recognizing kind of the different parental sets and I think it really requires a lot of talking about it with your kids too, so that they understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like that was I, my, I have a daughter and a stepdaughter who are the exact same age, almost to the day. So <laughs> when, right. So when we originally got together, it kind of felt like, oh, we're getting everything the same. And I was like, no, actually. And when they met, they were nine. So we were well, okay. you know, ahead of the game as far as talking about driver's license and things. And okay. I was like, you know, one of your sets of parents might decide to buy you a car when you're 16, 
Or another set of parent might say, you know, at 16, you're not ready to get a car and you can't necessarily get a license in a car just because the other girl did. Like you have to be ready. It needs to be right for you for that decision to be made. And so that was spoken about from the very beginning of, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not entitled to something because your sister, your stepsister has it. And it's not necessarily unfair if it's, if, if it's not the same, like we're going to always make the decisions that are best for you. And that could mean making a decision that's different than your stepsisters. For us, that's really worked for a lot of the families I've worked with. That's been really helpful to, mm-hmm. you know, say there's certain aspects of our home, you know, the culture of our home, the way we treat each other, the way we treat our home that is unique to our home. And we convey that to our kids. But when it comes to some big decisions, that decision is going to be made by that child's parents. But I just think that's tremendous because I'm imagining in some of the family systems that I see where they struggle, there's this, I feel connected to my new partner. We're a team and it becomes us versus the ex who's trying to do something differently instead of the two parents of that child making decisions and partner partnering well. And I, I think that that's a perspective that a lot of folks don't grasp very easily, but it totally, I think it streamlines a lot of those potential conflicts, especially, I think it's huge to be able to say, we're not going to try to line everything up and make everything even because we have different sets of parents. Yeah, I've had for, I'll give an example of an eight-year-old boy, one of his biological parents buys him an Xbox. The step isn't down with an eight-year-old having an Xbox in their room and feels strongly against that. And they also have, let's say, a nine or even 10-year-old kid, and they're still saying no to their kid. So, so you know, this 10-year-old's like, wait, my eight-year-old stepbrother gets an Xbox in his room and I don't? No, you don't, because your parents have decided that you're not going to have an Xbox in your room. And stepbrother's parents made a different decision. And there's aspects in which it can be, it can feel unfair. You know, they can, they can get to a place where this is, this is crap. And there are aspects of, uh, it may be, but at the same time, like your parents, the 10 year old's parents have decided to have a different response to what the information is that is out there about technology. And that's okay that they hold strong with that parenting decision. Now, stepbrother doesn't need to be like, I got an Xbox in you you know, don't, in that situation, you might have a parenting moment where you're like, dude, if you're going to be gloating and waving around your Xbox controller, you may need to take a break from that for a little while, because that's not why it was purchased for you. But yeah, that's, that's like a scenario I hear all the time is things like that. And let's say mom of that biological child, that 10 year old can get super frustrated at their partner. Like, why didn't you protect my kid from feeling left out because you decided your kid got to have this privilege. Shouldn't you have restricted it here? And there could be an argument for that. I mean, that's certainly a discussion point, but maybe that dad says, if I don't have an Xbox here, my kid won't come. And I just want to see my kid and I don't want there to be drama. Mm -hmm. And that's the decision I've made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can be really important to be able to say we can have separate boundaries and we can have different rules and structures. I have a a friend who's the stepmom. It's 
so my friend's daughter is the stepmom's only daughter. She's had boys and is very excited about the fact that now she has a daughter, which is a good thing. But then stepmoms to be the one who buys the clothes and do the haircuts and kind of showing up a lot in it, which is good, but also wants to be the room parent and has a more flexible schedule. And so my, my friend is trying to figure out how do I set some boundaries about grateful that you're excited to have my daughter and love her well. And I also need you not to be so focused on being, you know, the, the parent. Yeah, that's tough because I really strongly feel like step parents need to stay in their lane. And, you know, they're a support, they're a source of love, they're a source of structure. But in that situation, especially if you have bio mom, who's, who's doing lots of the things, you know, who's taking her for her haircut and wants to help her pick out her pretty dress for the award ceremony. Like, don't step on that relationship. It's just mm-hmm. going to cause resentment and confuse the child. And the child's going to feel like being torn between two people. And that's the stepmom's responsibility to understand that boundary And hopefully her husband, the child's father is saying, Hey, you know, let's, let's honor the fact that the stepdaughter, you know, has a mother who's really involved and we don't want to take away anything from their relationship and let's find separate things for you to do Mm -hmm. to bond with, with that kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So sometimes stepmom might have a really neat hobby and like they're super into gardening and they start to show that stepchild about it. And it's this new thing they did together, they do together and mom has nothing to do with it. And that's completely fine. But um, to assert themselves into parent-teacher conferences and room mom, oh mm-hmm. goodness, like, I don't know how they think that's going to turn out where <laughs> the mother feels respected. It sounds like you, like, there's a lot of need for emotion, like parents, people to be very emotionally healthy. Like, I'm imagine, like, like that, that for this to go well, people have to be really emotionally well enough to know how to respect boundaries and, and be kind to other people, right? Well, in my work with these families, because I work with the parents too, and even though I'm not like their personal counselor, where I'm hearing all about their childhood woes and things, I am very much addressing how they can navigate some of these things. And if they, if I'm able to create a trusting relationship, you know, between myself and that parent, and I can give them perspective, because once they adopt some of these strategies, oftentimes the stress goes down so quickly that it becomes reinforcing like, oh, okay, I see how not only is this better and that my ex and I are at each other's throats way less, but I actually am doing better with my own kids or my stepkids. So um, working with stepmoms is something I actually do a lot because that is a very difficult role to navigate. And obviously who you're step-parenting, you know, the nature of those kids make you have to adjust how you, you show up as a stepmother, but there's still, there's some kind of classic things that stepmothers can do to set the stage for success. And my goal is to give them the support, but it is, you know, giving them a considerable education about like, what is, does a healthy relationship look like? Like what, how can you have a connected, you know, how can you have a bond with this kid and have it feel meaningful and satisfying to both of you, but still respect the fact that they have a biological mom who deserves to have her own path with that kid. So yeah, we work a lot on that. And obviously somebody has got to be relatively equipped to come into the relationship with me. If they want to come and just talk about like how crappy 
the bio mom is or the stepmom is and how that man wronged her. And she's just looking for some sympathy with that. I'm probably not the best clinician because I'm very like action oriented. Like, what are we going to do to make this dynamic better? Like, how are we going to behave differently, think differently, conduct ourselves differently? And if a parent isn't working with me when they're in that space, then it's probably not going to feel satisfying to them or to me, honestly. What words of wisdom would you give to stepmothers and and mothers, but this could be fathers and stepfathers as well, but to communicate with the new spouse? So if I were to reach out to the step parent, what words of wisdom would you have for communicating between mother and stepmother? I think that first of all, to keep the relationship really like friendly, you know what I mean? Where it's starting off with a strength, a compliment, you know, Hey, I really appreciated how you helped daughter with her science project the other night. I know she was really frustrated and she appreciated your help. Um, I love that you always come to the kids' soccer games. You know, the more of us that can cheer them on the better, like there usually is something to say that's positive. However, don't friend them on Facebook. Don't text them random things. You know, don't become friends with their friends, assuming you, you know, don't have a precedent for that. Like have boundaries. And so many times I see like on these Facebook pages that are designed for stepmothers, I see that one of the two women are lurking onto the other person's social media or they're really involved in their co-parents communication with their ex. You know, they want to read every single text. They're typing the response back under their, you know, husband's account. And it just causes so much distress. If you married this guy or you're with this guy, hopefully you trust that he has the basic capability to communicate with his co-parent. And, you know, you weigh in on something that impacts you or your biological children or the way your finances or household are run. But other than that, you want to trust this person to be able to make good decisions for their kids. So this person is not in competition with you. This person can compliment what you're doing with your children. So be friendly, be approachable, but keep those boundaries from the very beginning in just a matter of fact way. It's nothing personal, but I don't need, I don't need my husband's ex-wife to notice that I got a new chair in the background. And when I took a picture of my dog, you know, I don't need them to analyze if I make a comment about their kid, which would only be a sweet comment, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need to have that stress in a relationship. So boundaries are good. Friendliness is good. Recognizing what you can control. You know, you can control how you act. You can't re- control how they respond. Those are some things I think highlights. Well, Tara, I am so grateful that we had this opportunity to pick your brain because I feel like I have all of these pieces to move forward with. And I love the work that you do. For those of you who would love to be able to connect with more of Tara's resources, her website again is www.drtaraegan.com. She has a wealth of information available. I really appreciate you having me. Of course, I could talk about this topic all day, but hopefully people have gotten some good ideas to think about when they go home to their partner. Thank you so much for your time today, Tara. Thank you. You're welcome. We 
hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.